Darius here. Welcome to Dyslexia Explored, this podcast. I think this is episode number 14. I'm really excited to share this next guest with you. She went to art school, was a primary school teacher and became qualified as a special education needs coordinator, SENCO as they call them in the UK, and was part of the senior leadership team of the school, which is required as part of that, and is now a specialist dyslexia assessor and teacher. And uh, I'd really like to introduce to you Helen Wells. Helen, it is great to have you on the podcast, finally. I know I had to (laughs) sort of squeeze you, uh, twist your arm a little bit, didn't I? A little bit. Hi, Darius. It's great having you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. So what I'm going to do is follow the usual format, folk who are listening. Um, I'm going to ask Helen about her big story, where it all began, what awoke the potential in her, what kind of challenges she chose to pick up and run with, and what kind of rewards she got, all within the context of some sort of dyslexia story. Although Helen isn't actually... uh, identified or diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, The whole thing is about identifying different people who are from different parts of the dyslexia world, as it were. And you um, really have got a lot to share as someone who's so immersed in it in schools. And then I'm going to ask Helen about dyslexia in particular, the influences she can trace, her learning moments, her mind mapping experience and advice she'd give her teenage self and herself as a parent and then ask her about specific tools. So I know Helen's got a lot to share here and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say, Helen. So, Helen, um, give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, art school. Uh, Well, maybe not. Why don't we just get stuck straight in and tell us where did it all begin for you? Okay, uh, you have already explained that I'm not diagnosed as dyslexic myself, but I do think that I probably are quite a dyslexic thinker in that I'm creative. I don't tend to think in a linear fashion. Um, And I do have family links with dyslexia. There's definitely members of my family who are dyslexic and just quite a few family members who have other skills quite hands-on practical and not necessarily academic as such so I came from that that creative background which obviously led me into um, art school I loved to to draw I focused in on um, printmaking and ceramics during my degree and it was just a brilliant time being able to do that for you know three or four years every day um, just make things. It was great. Um, and then from that point, I obviously, um, that didn't really pay the bills for long. Um, so, um, uh, what school did you go to? What art school? Uh, first of all, I went to um, Batley School of Art um, and did a foundation degree there, kind of blagged my way on um, because you were supposed to have A-levels and I didn't have. Um So I begged the course leaders Ah. to give me a chance. Don't tell anybody I haven't got all my A-levels. So I managed to get onto that and and just kind of prove that I was able to work hard during that year. And that led on to um, Bradford School of Art, um, another well-known art school up in the north. And just had a great time during that three or four years on that degree. Um, 
just able to make things every day. Brilliant. Fantastic. Now, for our international listeners, uh, you're talking about the UK, yeah, the, the north, north of, of England, England. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And where are you based right now? You're in Leeds, aren't you? So it's a, a odd little place called Liversidge. It's sort of between Leeds, Huddersfield, um, Halifax, Bradford, Wakefield. It's in a, a little area in the middle of all those main towns in the north of England. Okay, so for our American and Australian and international listeners, it's bang in the middle of England. Yes. So um, where did it all begin for you, this whole dyslexia story? So from the the art school, I then became a, a primary school teacher. Um, I didn't do the usual route of um, PGCE, which here, that's a, a route into teaching whereby you would study at university for an extra year, I actually um, did what was called a graduate teacher program where you could go straight into a school and learn on the job. And I literally was thrown in at the deep end and I was told on on the 1st or 2nd of December, the first day of the academic year, um, here is your classroom and here is your class of 30 children, get on with it. So it was a real baptism of fire, but I, I enjoyed it and had a really good mentor um, during that year and we did study um, the theory side sort of once a week we would go into a learning centre and do more of the the theory and pedagogy work Um, but it was very hands-on learning to be a teacher um, through that route but that that worked for me um, because can, I can get bored if I'm in, in a study environment for too long and not able to actually do. So, um, and I had a fantastic mentor during that year, so she really made it enjoyable and was very supportive. Um, and then from that point, I went to another school to be a class teacher and found myself volunteered by the head teacher to be the, the Senko. And I, I wasn't entirely sure if it was what. I wanted to do. Um, nobody else in the school seemed to want to do it at the time, but I now know that's because it's very hard work. Ah. Um, so the head teacher there, Jeremy Dunford, he's, a, he's brilliant. He's a great character um, and a, an amazing leader. He's, he really inspires people um, to to do well and, and to work hard and improve themselves. And he he nudged me and pushed me into this role, even though I was feeling, um, I felt like I was too young and not experienced enough to, to do that job. But he, um, he must have had some faith in me and, um, and said that I had an interest in it, which I did because I was doing art therapy for those children with additional needs in the school at the time. Um, and he said I had the personality to, you know, relate to the, the, the families in the school so he he pushed me down that that route and I'm I'm glad he did now um so, so within that... our questions you know when I ask who awoke the potential within you that's mm. very much one of those moments where he woke something up in you yeah uh, the my mentor during my teacher training year Di Moore she was fantastic and then the the next school I was at Jeremy Dunford the the head teacher there he really um believed in me and pushed me to do this um and i'm really thankful that he did can you explain 
what a Senko is. I, I hear this quite a lot. And because mm-hmm. I'm up in Scotland, we have different terms. And I think other people in other countries will have similar but different terms. Could you describe the role of a Senko in a school? Okay. So uh, a Senko, or sometimes named Senko um, now, is a special educational needs and disability coordinator within the school. And they should also sit on the senior leadership team. Um, they would coordinate all the special needs and additional needs provision for the pupils within the school. And sometimes they would have um, a role as inclusion manager. Um, So that might even include um, making sure that there's adequate provision for gifted and talented pupils um, for vulnerable groups within the school, as well as special educational needs and disability. That's quite a big remit. And it's not just your full job. You also teach as well. It's one of these dual roles. Is that correct? Uh, I think for a lot of schools, it has to work that way due to budget constraints and and resources. So one of the class teachers would also have this this role um, and spend part of their time doing the management of the, the Senko role and then part of the time as class teacher. So what's interesting about this for me is that you you've probably had quite a lot of contact time with parents as well as being a teacher you know yes so basically as a senko every um child who's got some special educational requirement or gifted or whatever is coming to you to as the as the sort of main person is that correct yes and it might not be that you are the person who worked work directly with that pupil that you are responsible for their um their progress and for the the provision that is put in place for them so the management of that the the budgeting for and the monitoring and evaluating of the impact of that provision okay so the next question is you know the challenge in this story you know was what would you say was the challenge you picked up as a result of that waking that potential as a senko i think the the main challenge i found and and i know other senkos have talked about this is is the the challenge of being a teacher with all those other pressures uh such as ofsted which is our um, inspection body in the UK for schools so so you have pressures such as Ofsted attainment levels um, limited budgets um, large class sizes varying needs within a classroom um, and so as a class teacher and Senko managing all those um, pressures and trying to plan priorities is really hard. And and quite often as a class teacher and even as a Senko, your knowledge around special educational needs may not be where it needs to be for you to do your job properly. And that's down to limited training that you would receive. Um, so that quite often I would feel as a class teacher and a, a Senko almost inadequate in terms of my understanding and knowledge of all special needs but then you're the other side of that that balance is that the parent really wants the best for their child and will fight tooth and nail for that so parents 
can often feel unheard, um, undervalued, that their child is being missed. So that's a really difficult um, balance to strike to to get that right um, and needs a little bit of effort on both sides, I think, and some um, systems that allow for that to work more smoothly. And obviously the, the main thing that can help with that is communication. So is there like a SENCO in every school in the country then? Yes, there should be. So that's a requirement that there's a yes. SENCO in every school. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I remember when I was a primary school teacher myself, um, there would be these other roles that we as teachers would take on and someone would say, right, okay, we've got these health and safety requirements. Who's going to be the health and safety person? And mm-hmm. is it is it a bit kind of like that where mm-hmm. someone says, yeah, that's a role that needs to be done and someone goes, well, you know, I'll, I'll chip in. And then it, it opens up a whole new world of learning and requirements and so on. Is it yeah. is it but like that? Uh, often can be. Um, I think in a lot of schools, well, certainly in the one I found myself in, it was not something that anybody else really wanted to do um, yes. because there are so many challenges and every case is different. And and it's as much as the, the Senko and the teachers would like to, it's virtually impossible to design that perfect environment for that one pupil and and run the rest of the school um so it it never quite feels enough but it's what i've learned is trying to to find ways of um working together communicating and prioritizing the the key things that would make a difference for each pupil okay so let's go into that so that was the challenge you know your um Mm -hmm got this huge role of um, being a Senko and a teacher and learning on the job. And you've got all these families who are looking to you. You see the inside story on all of these children. Mm-hmm. You've got the inside story of the school as well. And you're, you know, trying to make these different parts of the jigsaw all fit together. Now, how long did you do that for? Um, what year are we in now? So <laughs> just working this out. 2018, um, was that okay. five years, 10 years? So 10 years, 10 years. Almost, almost 10 years. Okay. I was, I've been a Senko for. Right. And now I understand you're, you're, you've stepped out of the Senko role and now moved into being a, a, an assessor and a specialist dyslexia teacher. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. And, um, doing more consultancy and training work for schools and SEN staff, SENCOs, teachers. Great. So you've had 10 years of this. Looking back on it, that was the challenge. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of rewards have you got out of it? What have you learned and what can you bring back to us as parents and maybe other SENCOs out there and tutors out there? Okay, so, well, I said that the main things that I found made this this struggle easier was the communication and collaboration but it was really down to um, appreciating the voice of the family mm-hmm. and making those um, those parents and that pupil really feel heard and understood and valued that needed to underpin all conversations and meetings 
and communication between home and school. And once that's there, you can then start to work within your own school's constraints and say, look, this is what's possible. What, how should we prioritise this? What, what do you feel would make most impact for you as a pupil or, or as a family? How can we work within the system to, to find the best solution for everybody and, and it be manageable but have the most impact and it's so to imagine okay a scenario um so if we take this analogy darius you go to the hairdressers Mm -hmm. you you need a haircut yeah you have your idea of of what it should be like oh i know where you're going i think so then and then the hairdresser um knows about hair colour and hair texture and your face shape and the hairdresser says, oh, this this is how you should have your hair and you're kind of like, mm, okay, uh, it's not really what I had in mind but you must be the expert, you're the hairdresser. So they, they start cutting your hair and you think, oh, my word, what are they doing? Yeah. This is not what I wanted. He hasn't asked me once what how I want my hair and I'm not sure what he's doing but I don't ask. And then at the end, the haircut is not what you wanted. And you, you get shown the back of your hair with the mirror and you just go, OK, yeah, great, thanks. And you leave unsatisfied. Or you and you, can... And you, you go home and you cry for three days. Exactly. Yeah, and you start telling your husband, oh, this isn't what I wanted. And your husband yeah. and then goes, you cross well, why with did the you say and yeah. so on and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Gosh, it's... A very familiar story, yes. Yeah. Until then, you find a hairdresser you can trust to do what you want. Exactly. So that trust has to be there, but it needs to be a communication and there needs to be communication through the process. Um, you know, you need to be able to express, well, actually, this is what my lifestyle is like or, or this is my idea of what would be best for me and how I would feel most comfortable. And that needs to fit with a little bit of the expert advice as well and, and, and join together. When you say I, are you saying, are you, are you talking on behalf of the child there yes. or the parent? Yeah. Um, the, the child or, or the family, if the child is unable to express their, their wishes and wants fully. Okay. So in many ways, what, you're, what I'm hearing you say is that the voice of the family, but coming primarily from the voice of the child. It, I think it depends on um, the child's age and ability. Okay. I think we, for younger children or for, for children or young people who may have difficulty expressing um, what would be best for them, then their parents can advocate on that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, even during the process, just, um, you know, sitting there in that hairdresser's chair, Yeah. the hairdresser just explaining, well, now I'm just doing this and we're doing this because of this uh, and you know just having that communication throughout the entire process um relieves anxiety and mistrust and or misunderstanding and that really needs to be built into systems within school and and attitudes yeah great and By then the way, you Helen, feel like I... you've got a good haircut as well then yes you do This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. So those you've described some of the challenge, you've described a little bit about how important this 
hearing the voice and the, the perspective of the parents in the school. What sort of other kind of over these 10 years, what sort of thing do you have you come away with out of that experience? So the the communication, collaboration, um, listening more than talking is really important to really understand where where a child is coming from. Um, and then being able to prioritise the the next steps that would be best for that pupil, not necessarily best for the school in terms of results and attainment, but what what would be best holistically for that pupil. Okay, um, so really, you're list- you're speaking really to a lot of the listeners who might be uh, tutors or teachers or senkos themselves. You're kind of coming back saying, look, guys, taking that time to listen has a huge payoff. Absolutely. And to really respect that each case is so different. And so that response should be tailored and different and be informed by the the pupil's wishes and beliefs. And then to think about the ideal for that pupil first and then go to the next stage of what's actually manageable. Yeah, and it might be that if you take the time to listen, it's actually something quite easy to put in place. Yes. Um, And without assuming what that pupil wants or needs, actually taking the time to listen to what's important to them, you may learn a lot about them and and find that actually you you can um, put something in place just by making tweaks to your practice. Um. You shared a great story with me, which is, I know you're going to probably share it later, but could you mm-hmm. share it now, which is yeah. about the ball and gym and things like that. I uh-huh. think that's a good example of this. Isn't it? Yeah, it's not um, a direct example, but it, it, it illustrates this. Yeah, it, it would have been so um, minuscule to the class teacher, but it was huge to me, this um, issue I had at high school. Um, so when I was in secondary school, I... For, nearly all of that time I hated Thursdays because PE was on a Thursday physical education um, and I hated PE not actually not even um, the activities as such I hated the idea that I might be called up to do the demonstration at the front of the class because I couldn't catch <laughs> and it was that public humiliation of um, having to do a demo with the class teacher and, you know, would I drop the ball in front of all of my classmates? And at that age, that is, you know, absolute social ruin, isn't it? So I hated Thursdays for years because it was PE and I might be called up by the PE teacher to do a demonstration in front of the class. And it really, this wouldn't have been on my teacher's radar at all, uh-huh. um, but caused me massive anxiety at that age um, every week. So if I'd have felt able to approach the teacher and just have a quiet word and say, sir, I really worry about Thursdays because of this. What can we do about it? And he would have no doubt be really understanding and probably quite surprised by it. But I'm I'm sure that most teachers would say, it's not a problem, don't worry, I, w- I just won't pick you. Or, you know, maybe you let me know when you're feeling up for a challenge and feeling braver and like you can do that one day. So that's something that I could have voiced at that age that would have made my life an awful lot easier. And yes. that that would have dominated my week every Your week. Your whole week just oh, because yeah. of this. Yeah. 
And 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 the interesting thing I'm wondering is how many times did you actually get called on oh, probably to do the demo? Three times in five years, you know. <laughs> but it 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 was that anticipation and anxiety that it might be me. Um, oh boy! So just little things can can make a huge difference if that communication is there. I mean, I'm thinking as a teacher, having been in this scenario before. I've put children on the spot in the past without mm-hmm. saying hands up who would like to do the demonstration. Mm-hmm. That would be a realistic workaround mm-hmm. where it's like hands up who'd like to do the demonstration. The usual hands go up and a few don't go up. I keep an eye on it and give it to the people who put the hands up. But when it comes to those that aren't participating so much, I might have a quiet word with them and say, look, Helen, you know, is there something you'd like to join in and show and do that you quite like doing? Because I'd like you to have a shot at doing this. And you go, oh, I don't really want to do the ball thing or whatever. Do you, and then find something that they, you would be happy demonstrating mm-hmm. or doing. Yeah. They're, and it's the same with um, reading out loud in class for so many pupils. That causes so much stress. Mm. And and will it be me next? Will I stumble on a word? Um, and there's there's enough anxiety and stress once you become an adult you don't need extra anxiety when you're learning so it's teachers having an awareness of that and and being sensitive to it that can make a difference yeah well any final things you want to say on the whole reward side before we move on to the dyslexia section um i think it the process of um, becoming a, a teacher, a senko, and then going on to, to do my master's in SEN and becoming a specialist teacher, it's all been, um, there's been challenges, it's been hard at times, but just very rewarding, you know, reflect back on certain cases and you think, oh, what a great outcome for that pupil, or we, mm. re- we really mended a broken relationship between the school and home by working hard on that trust element even if it wasn't necessarily um a a complete redesign of the um provision just that um that work on a personal level and and building that relationship has been positive and it's it's led to me working independently and and having opportunities to to do other things like the the Leeds Dyslexia Festival which you kindly helped at um and took part in that was really yeah. good thank you that was quite a triumph for for you i mean tell us a little bit about that story by the way you know how did the leeds dyslexia festival start and give us a whistle stop tour on that um the leeds dyslexia festival was supposed to be um a cpd meeting continuing professional development meeting for some other specialist teachers and assessors i chair a a group in west yorkshire which is west yorkshire pathos um, which is a professional association of teachers of specific learning difficulties so i chair that group and every year there is supposed to be a cpd meeting and it began as an idea for for that um and turned into a much bigger event as we um the the group um, got creative and, and the idea snowballed and it, we started thinking about in, inviting different speakers and exhibitors, opening it up to parents and um, educators on a, a wider level um, and it just snowballed into a huge event. <laughs> 
so you it was something that you might have thought oh well maybe 30 or 40 people might turn up at and then gradually it grew bigger and bigger until you had 900 people signed up and six 700 people turned up more than that actually Darius um we, oh, what are the actual stats over a thousand attended on the day um so yes it, we we reached a lot of people on that day and got some great feedback as well with um some families and teachers who had not really known where to start with supporting their dyslexic children or pupils um so so let me get this right helen okay did you just say a thousand people turned up over a thousand yes turned up Mm -hmm. wow because i was there it felt a lot but i didn't quite get that Mm -hmm. much that's amazing and and let's just put this into context for the other people listening Mm -hmm. that was from a standing start Mm -hmm. about i think you called me six months before it (laughs) yeah and you said, we've got this idea. Would you come down and do some mind mapping? Mm-hmm. Is that, was it, this all happened within six months? So um, I took over the role as chair of this group in January. And I think I called you in um, February 2018 February. and asked you if you might be interested in coming down to Yorkshire and, and giving a talk to some um, specialist teachers. And we did it, uh, you did it in... Um... What was last month called? September. Yes. So that's um, eight months you Mm -hmm. did it and all volunteers, et cetera, as well. Yes. So other members of West Yorkshire Patos and we joined forces with um, Yorkshire Rose Dyslexia, which is the regional branch of the British Dyslexia Association. So, And we had Pat on in a previous episode Uh describing our work on that. So that's brilliant, Helen, what you've done there. Really remarkable uh, achievement. Oh, last question I want to ask you is, have you got any advice for parents who are dealing with their own version of a Senko in a school? What hints and tips would you give them to, you've given hints and tips to other Senkos about what what they can do to get the most out of that relationship. Mm -hmm. What can parents do to get the most out of? Because Let's face it, sometimes we can get really quite upset as parents mm-hmm. when we're like, oh, my goodness, I see my child slipping, drowning. Yeah, are upset. And you're, you're getting emotional. You, you start seeing your child emotional. It makes you emotional. You start seeing that the system's starting to fail your child. Mm-hmm. You want to blame someone or whatever, you know. What kind of advice would you give to parents who are going through this process? Um, I think really think carefully about what what two or three things would make a big difference to your child in school so so what what things are causing your child or your family in general stress at the moment and talk to the school about those few things and you know it's really easy to become overwhelmed um, and emotional in these situations uh, and think that everything is is a mess or you know nothing's right but you know, focus on what's working right, working well, mm-hmm. and celebrate success in those areas, and promote those skills and interests. But then look at you know just one, two, or even three things that might practical things that might make a difference to your your child, and talk to the the Senko class teacher or senior leadership team about those those few issues 
see what solution you can come up with together and do it and then review it and see how things have changed um, and and just take it a step at a time. That's great advice. That sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed. We want everything to change, but just finding those two or three things to keep pressing in on. Mm-hmm. And it might, it might be something really simple like homework is causing us a huge problem on a weekend at home you know there are tears meltdowns everybody's stressed it's spoiling the weekend and that's not how family life should be so just voicing that to the school the school might say oh don't worry don't don't do that homework then just maybe focus on on reading together and and so it might be something really simple that um you know without that communication and understanding between the the two parties it's it's difficult to work a solution. Everybody kind of feels at loggerheads and unheard. Yeah. Helen, that's brilliant. We could talk way more about all this, I know, but let's move on to mm-hmm. the next section, dyslexia itself. Um, tracing the influence of dyslexia through this whole story, I just put that in there as a sort of what kind of unifying theme have you seen through this story of yours in particular to do with dyslexia? Anything you've not mentioned? Well, dyslexia obviously does feature... It did feature in my role as a teacher, a senko, it's in my family as well. But the training that is available is so limited um, on all special needs for teachers. Um, so I felt that I didn't know enough, but it actually it's about um, having the right mindset and being determined and, and problem solving and and keeping on with learning is what's important because actually um you might you might be the expert on something today but research moves on and and there are developments and technology changes so it's it's virtually impossible to to keep all that knowledge up to date at all times anyway um and what's important is looking at what skills you have got what resources you have got to work with and and the cases you've got in your school um, and really planning to use your resources that you've got to hand so that they have best effect. Well, one of the things I know from the way you operate, you don't say it, but you, you, you've you got the humility to, to learn. And I think often to learn stuff, you need humility to say, I don't know everything. And I can see that in you and the way you've worked is that you're constantly saying, I don't know everything about that. Tell me more. I, I think it's... Um really important to to be curious and to be feel okay to say um i I don't know that but i i'll go and find out Mm. or um i'm not sure how to do this yet and having that that growth mindset um means that you're open to further learning you keep curious and, and you become a lifelong learner yeah which segues us onto the next segment which is your learning moments in this journey, what would you say were your learning moments? Um, maybe they were people, maybe they were um, different ways of learning that you found really helpful mm-hmm. over this process. In, as you, as for you as an individual, what what have you found really helpful? Um, well, I've been on so many courses now that I wouldn't be able to pin down one pivotal moment or course or or person or phrase even but I've 
I've tried to approach everything with a mindset of what what can I learn from this and even if it's it's felt like a waste of time being able to say well what what have I learned from this it might be that I I learn not to do this again if if it's not been valuable to me so it's still been valuable in a way yeah because you you can reflect on that and and work out what you've learned from it um but then also um I'm quite busy, um, the busy family life. And um, for me, I've had to get used to taking in content in an audio format because I don't actually have the time to sit and read. And I get reading fatigue as well as soon as I, I read um, a couple of You sound of lines. a bit dyslexic to me, Helen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possible now, now when I think about it, yeah. You know, you've gone through this sort of... I, I I blagged my way into art school and demonstrated it by my work ethic. And then I didn't do the formal teaching. I went into the, the work on the job type training. And then you became a Senko mm. on the job. And you, you, you like listening instead of reading. And you're... Okay, well, maybe, maybe if somebody <laughs> sent me for an assessment now, then maybe. <laughs> Is it possible to assess yourself, Helen? No, I wouldn't have said so. No, because I don't you, think you... you're an assessor as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I do. I do often um, observe pupils in um, during assessment and think, "Yeah, I would have done it like that too." <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get back yeah. on topic. Yeah, uh, learning moments audio. You love your audio. I know you talk about podcasts quite a bit. Tell me about your podcast experience. I just consume podcasts because I can do it hands free and get on with jobs while while I'm listening so um I quite often have podcasts on while I'm cleaning um looking after the children when I'm out running so that's that's my way of reading to an extent um and audiobooks as well um radio just that's how I take a lot of my information in um brilliant mind mapping Let's move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. What's your mind mapping experience been like over the last, you know, 10 years or even life, you know, through this story? What's your mind mapping story? Uh, during teacher training, you you probably cover things like spider diagrams and, and using that as a, but not really understanding the concept behind it. So that might be a, a strategy that you taught during teacher training to use in your lesson planning. Um, and I would say that I'm probably a spatial note taker. I tend to jot things around all over a page and a doodle. But then I saw your pilot mind mapping course um, on social media and thought it was really interesting. Signed up uh, with my stepdaughter. And so we, we undertook that pilot course and it's really helped me to bring some structure to the whole process and organize um, my ideas or external information that I need to capture, um, being able to pick out those keywords and, and capture them and record them in an organized format. It's been really helpful for me. You know, the interesting thing that I've learned from interviewing different people around the world about um, dyslexia on the podcast and just talking to people, different um, students and parents, is that I've always taken it for granted that mind mapping is listed on most dyslexia assessments as one of the key things to do, especially in the teenage years. 
but it's not actually often that common in in other countries for example in australia and things like that you know what's your take on is is mind mapping often recommended in assessments and how to deal with dyslexia i usually put it in as a recommendation for um, any learners i've assessed but it that doesn't mean to say that the the school staff would know how to support that well or that the pupil would understand um the process well so it really needs to be um followed up with um uh, the kind of teaching that you offer to to make best use of that process yeah this is not me trying to uh, sell or promote my kind of my course and so on but one of the things that i've personally experienced with my daughter is the lack of systematic teaching of these kinds of practical skills Mm -hmm. a lot of it's kind of like this would be really great but i mean is there anything else out there you know what sort of mind mapping stuff are you aware of in the sort of dyslexia world that can help dyslexics the only process that i've really been able to engage with is is following your teaching strategies and it's it's really all that um clockwise motion the prioritizing of keyword well actually picking out keywords first of all but then prioritizing and giving them weight um and extending those ideas further because the kind of training that teachers might receive um about different note-taking methods such as spider diagrams actually just means chucking loads of words at a page and actually dyslexics need ways to organize their thoughts rather than just throwing lots of information in a um a non-ordered format on a page isn't very helpful for a dyslexic in my opinion yeah yeah i found the same um so let's move on to advice i love this bit hold on excuse me teenage self what advice would you give your teenage self okay um so we we talked about the the scenario of me dreading Thursday. So I would say speak up for yourself and express your needs, but also be okay with being different. I think it it's really easy to say that as an adult, isn't it? But it um, is. yeah, you know, teenage angst and wanting to keep up with all the the cool kids and actually just um, enjoy being different and and celebrate what you're good at and do it more and remember that school is a really narrow window to view you through oh wow that's that's a great great phrase so school is a narrow window to view yourself through i've always said that to parents in meetings because the parents can quite often get really hung up about exam results and academic levels and it's such a narrow window of the the pupil and the person themselves and when when you reach adulthood and you realize that and and there's so much more to you and and you you shine in the workplace because you have other skills and talents and you know that that grade c in your english gcse for example is means so little by then yeah it's just be mindful of that and remember that i'm kind of picturing imagine you could send a card back to yourself in time as a teenager what would be on the front of it and i can picture you know 
school is a narrow window to view yourself in. And then on the inside, you know, that kind of advice, dear Helen, remember, you know, to... The, my arty brain at that point is that when you turn it over, it concertinas out and there's so many different faces oh. to see. <laughs> wow, yes, that's great. Fabulous. Make one of those, yeah. Yes, yes. So you'd have that window at the front mm-hmm. and then maybe maybe you could have a little sliver through the window that you can only see a small part of yourself through onto the other page. Mm-hmm. And then when you open it, you see that face and then you keep opening and there's another concertina of another face, another face. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. And then maybe at the end, you would have a question mark about what's the next aspect of you that's going to be unveiled. You just add pages, don't you, as you go through? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh, that's brilliant. What a nice activity that would be for a classroom, a starter activity at the beginning of the year. Yes, yes. Oh, wow, Helen, that's great. So next question. Uh, Advice to yourself as a parent and maybe what would be on the front of your card and what would be on the inside of your card if you were to send yourself a card through the post in time, backwards or forwards? Um, I think what I try to do and I need to remember as a parent is really celebrating interests and skills and personal attributes. And those are the, the things that make somebody successful and enjoy their life not you know whether they can remember all the times tables or um you know how good they are at spelling you know it's remembering those things and and the experiences so really having fun doing those things where the whole family is in fits of giggles about something and and you remember that yeah um the silly thing so if you were to sum up in a sentence what what would your instagram quote be Oh, um, just have more fun. Yeah. Yeah, just have more fun. They're only young for a little while. Yes. Now, you also, I remember when we were previewing what you might say, you mentioned something about effort. Yeah, celebrating effort rather than achievement is and and those personal attributes. You know, I would hope that I praise my kids for, for doing kind things. Or for being thoughtful or creative or just those attributes that actually will be so valuable when they're older and help them to get the most value out of life. Great. So let's move on to the final segment section really is tools, dyslexia tools for thinking and organizing. Uh, Not got so much time for this part, but I I know you're well prepared for this already. So what sort of dyslexia tools would you recommend for thinking and organising? Right. Um, I think thinking dyslexics need to know more about metacognition, which is understanding themselves as a, a learner. So reflecting on that, really working out how do I learn best? Um, you know, for example, I I need to get my content in an audio format at this stage in my life and to suit my skills. That's how, what works best for me. So really understanding that. So you need to be able to understand that to, to plan your own strategies that will work for you as a learner. Um, some people are really good at starting projects, not finishing them. If you know that's you, then you need to find out, right, who, who will co- hold me accountable for this? 
how can I make sure that I plan those those further steps and make sure that I get round to them and it might be that you you keep an appointment with somebody um to do the next stage of a project and and so that's your way of making sure that you get to those latter stages of a project or it might be that you know you procrastinate because big jobs are overwhelming to you so your strategy is to break a, a project down into small tasks and schedule them in to your calendar that's one of the reasons that's one of the reasons why we do study groups as part of our training process Mm -hmm. because you know when you're learning you could learn how to mind map and watch videos and so on for four weeks all on your own Mm -hmm. but there's very few dyslexic people who will actually complete that (laughs) with the best of intentions unless they know that they've got someone that they're going to sit down with and there's going to be a group of them other people are going to be have done it and then they switch on the video Mm -hmm. they see each other and they're like oh i'm going to be doing that i better do my mind map and then they get into it and they get it done you know yeah so it's you keep that date and it keeps you accountable yes um things like i know that i'm not very good at remembering names and faces okay so now that i know that about myself and i've been in embarrassing situations where i've not remembered somebody's name oh you're totally dyslexic <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, so I know that's me. So uh-huh. now I really, really pay attention when I'm introduced to somebody. Oh, I really, really like to do that better. Tell me how you do that. How do you do it? Okay. Um, so a bit strange, but um, I, when I'm introduced to somebody, I, I listen. I don't, don't do anything else. So if somebody says, oh, let me just introduce you to so-and-so, I think, right, stop. I'm going to learn somebody's name now and I really need to focus so I can't be doing anything else. Okay. I look at the person's face, I listen to their name and I try to work out how can I um, match something about their name to their face. Okay. So it might be that I'm introduced to Barbara and she wears glasses. And so I take the, the capital B of Barbara and... In my head, that becomes her glasses. Oh, wow, yes. So I do, I do things like that because I've been caught out and it's embarrassing. Oh, I'm still getting caught out, Helen, and I'm still embarrassed. It's just terrible. <laughs> I think but then I you have need, to, you need that backup, the... don't you, to say, sorry, just remind me of your name, please. And, and that's fine. Yeah, I think I've got to the place. Can you be, you know, I, I anyway, it's more about you. I, I won't. Uh, so keep going. This is great organizing and thinking yeah that's something just one little thing that i make sure i do because i know that that's caught me out in the past and yeah it's something that i need to make an effort with and have a strategy for okay so really along with the metacognition is the and your own personal strategies is learning from experience and taking that time to assess what went well why did it go well how can i do that again in the future and if something didn't go well, why did it go wrong? Why did it? Why did I miss that doctor's appointment? Because I was trying to do too many things at that time, and I didn't. When I made the appointment, I didn't log it in the right place and with the right system. So next time I make any appointment, I'm going to make sure I use this system and I set myself a reminder. So things like that, just to eliminate uncomfortable situations. 
I think what you're highlighting here, Helen, is actually how much intentionality sometimes it takes as a dyslexic to compensate for things that a lot of other people just take naturally. Okay, they're not so great at remembering everything, but they're not going to forget all the important things. And uh, those kind of things, you know, they'll remember most people's names, etc. and so on. But, you know... It's much easier to to find strategies for yeah. memory and for organisation than it is to try to replicate creativity and ideas, which dys- dyslexics just have in abundance. So actually, you're better off because technology will do all this organisation stuff for us in the future, and it is doing already. So you know, it, it's better to be dyslexic in a lot of ways because you you. You know, computers can't be as creative or sensitive or intuitive as humans can, and especially dyslexic ones. Thank you. So gadgets and apps, let's segue to that. Okay. You just talked about computers. Let's. Our final question is, what sort of gadgets and apps do you use, do you recommend? So we've mentioned already the, the audio aspect is important for me, so audio books, podcasts, um, I use learning tools in Microsoft Office as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll sometimes use Immersive Reader to read a, a longer text to me while I'm doing something else. Um, exploring accessibility functions in your, in your phone or um, tablet, that can be useful. You might find things that, that make it more accessible to you when you're using this device. Um, Google Keep and Google Calendar and using all, all the functions within them um, to support some of these organisational and memory issues. Um, seeing AI, that's really good as well. It was um, a Microsoft app. It's free. Um, it was aimed at visual impaired, but actually is really useful for people who have reading difficulties too, because it will read out documents Brilliant. to you that you hover your camera over. Oh, seeing AI. Mm-hmm. So you put your camera up to it and it speaks it out? Mm-hmm. Ooh, never heard of it. Great. Uh, you, you like it. It gives um, audio descriptions of um, visual scenes as well. Wow. Okay. Mm. Um, and mindfulness and meditation apps are really useful just to, to keep that balance and, and look after mental health. That's brilliant, Helen. Helen, I think we've come to our hour and mm-hmm. um i've got another few minutes i just want to put that over to you you know what's next uh how do people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you that sort of thing okay so at at this moment i'm working with a lovely lady called rachel ingham we're working together um on this consultation and training offer to schools and really facilitating that um that communication between school and the family and the pupils' needs and meeting those needs in a, a bespoke way. So we're working together on um, a project called Send Solutions. Oh. So so that's what we'll be working on for a, a while. Um, we do have a website. That's www.send-solutions dot co dot uk and that has contact details on there we'll make sure that they're put into the show notes um, okay thank you if if people if you're a listener and you want to find this as well you can go to mindmapstudio.com 
forward slash, I think this is going to be episode 13, just check the number on it, or is it 14? Um, and uh, all the references will be there. But also, could you repeat yours again, please? Yep, Helen? www.send-solutions.co.uk. Great. Any other kind of things you want to say or whatever? So what's next and any final words? Um, it's pretty open since the Leeds Dyslexia Festival. So we're just really open to ideas and projects and 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 work that's out there. So um, the world's our oyster, I suppose. Okay, so it's it's maybe we'll have you back in a in a wee while time and uh, hear mm-hmm. how things have developed because Absolutely. this is quite interesting because you've been in one school, one area, etc. Now. The, the, the spread of what sort of connections and relationships and perspectives you're going to see is going to broaden, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Helen, thank you so much for sharing this time, this valuable insight with everyone here who's listening and will listen in the future. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for the opportunity. This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where Dyslexia Productivity Coaching comes in, because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.